Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show here on this Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You know, it's appropriate. Yesterday, it was 77 degrees, which is ridiculous for Vermont this time of year. Today, we're in the 40s. It feels like fall, and we got the fall classic beginning tomorrow. It just feels appropriate. We're going to have game one of the World Series on tomorrow after the show between the Phillies and the Astros from Houston. And joining us now to break down all things baseball, as he does every single Thursday, is Buster Olney of ESPN. Buster, how are you? I'm doing great, Brady. What's happening? Let's start with the World Series. And actually, let's start with, it's a Yankees-related question, but it's a baseball question in general. I was listening to ESPN Radio yesterday, and or two days ago, rather, and Alan Hahn was just hammering the Yankees for having kind of an all-or-nothing offensive approach and how you can't win in the playoffs when, when all you can do is hit home runs. And I used to be in that camp. I used to think small ball is how you would win in the playoffs. But you look at the Astros they're winning by hitting a lot of home runs. You look at the Phillies, they're winning by hitting a lot of home runs. Even my Mariners, the series they won against Toronto, they hit multiple home runs. So it feels like the Yankees actually don't have so much of a flawed philosophy. They just went up against a juggernaut. Am I right in that? I think you're completely right. And I also think that you know part of the context that's been lost for the Yankees is about the whole all-or-nothing approach. That's not what the front office envisioned when they built this team with D.J. LeMahieu who got hurt with a, you know, with a toe injury. And when they traded for Andrew Benatendi, uh, you know, who was uh, one of the leaders for the American League batting title during the course of the year, but he suffered a broken handmate, which was a freak injury. Because, Brady, I, you know, this hasn't been reported. He actually had broken that handmate before. And when uh, the, that operation was supposed to take place seven years ago, the entire bone wasn't taken out. And so they wind up with this freak situation where he breaks the same bone again after it regrew. So the Yankees absolutely, you know, believe, you know what, we need more contact. But your point is also taken. Uh, I think that what happened was is that with a diminished lineup, you know, using younger players, having guys like Josh Donaldson performing very well, not performing very well, they ran into an incredible pitching staff in the Houston Astros. If you look at what the Astros uh, staff has done and extrapolate it uh, over the course of a full season, what they've gotten from their collective pitching staff, numbers-wise, is peak Pedro Martinez. Wow. Okay? If you took Pedro Martinez's best numbers, 1999 and 2000, that's what the Astros pitching staff has done this season. So I do feel like, yeah, we can hammer the Yankees and they should have done this or maybe they should have done that. Bottom line is they were beaten by a much better team in that four-game sweep. You know, we've talked a lot about this with the Red Sox, and and I I agree the Red Sox need to spend, spend, spend this offseason because they're going to have the money to do it. But I also believe in you know, turning over the couch cushions and seeing what you can find and develop. And yeah. the Astros have done a really good job in that. I mean, look, Rafael Montero had a 7-7 ERA with the Mariners last year, goes to Houston, and boom, he's pitching in the eighth inning. I remember Hector Neris as a failed closer in Philly, and now he's throwing meaningful seventh, eighth innings for the Astros. Just the player development machine is just churning for them. Well, and on top of that, you know, the best teams in baseball in recent years are teams that uh, add players, major leaguers, and help to get them better. The Dodgers might be the best example of that. You know, Max Muncy, uh, Tyler Anderson this year, uh, you know, in the past, the Justin Turner. I mean, on and on and on. The Dodgers have had a remarkable uh, success in that regard. Uh, you know, the Yankees have with their bullpen. They've gotten guys from other teams that have done a really good job with it. And it is going to be really important for 
you know, the Red Sox to do that well going forward, as the Astros have demonstrated, because their bullpen is built off all, you know, all these cast-offs with great arms who the, the Astros made adjustments with, and they've gotten better. It's when you really look back at the, you know, the Houston franchise, which has, you know, been a consistent force in the in October, basically since 2015. The bottom line is they've made pitchers better, whether it's Garrett Cole or Justin Verlander or Charlie Morton or these relievers that are running out this fall. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider with us here on the Brady Farkas Show. Every Thursday, we're going to have Game 1 of the World Series from Houston beginning tomorrow night after we get off the air. You know, Buster, it's interesting. I, I've said this to you a million times. I am a High and Bloom fan. I believe in what he is doing. And now I believe he needs to supplement what he's doing farm system-wise by spending money this offseason. But in general, I like High and Bloom. How should we feel watching Dave Dombrowski get to another World Series with another organization doing it his way, which was the antithesis of the High and Bloom way. Right. That's exactly right. Well, look, uh, you know, I, I, I felt like at the time that the Red Sox let him go, that ownership was not being fair to him because mm. he was brought in to win a championship and he executed by using resources exactly what they wanted and that's how they wound up dogpiling at the end of the 2018 world series you know and chris sale played a role in that and other guys they picked up played a role in that and so i i did think it was kind of funny that when uh you know amusing when ownership let him go as if he had oh you know veered away from the vision what did they expect when you get dave dombrowski he's done a phenomenal job of building really great and and on top of that really interesting major league teams very watchable teams and that's exactly what he's done with the Phillies in the spring when he signed Kyle Schwarber uh and let's face it if you're the Red Sox one of your big regrets in 2021 to 2022 was not bringing Schwarber back for his offense and his first leadership but they signed Kyle Schwarber they signed Nick Castellanos uh despite the fact they already had Bryce Harper Folks like myself were bellowing about how bad their defense was, and it really wasn't good. But you know what? Uh, Dave has built teams like that before. They've won with a staff that had a lot of strikeouts. He's, uh, you know, he definitely is padding what I think is going to be Hall of Fame resume. What is your experience when a team wins the World Series or comes up just short and kind of how it changes their offseason? What I'm asking about is, is I am rooting for the Phillies to win this World Series because – as a Red Sox fan, I think if the Phillies come up just short, they're going to be even more all-in, and they're going to be calling Xander Bogarts, and they're the team I would worry about. If they win the World Series, my goal is that ownership says, hey, we accomplished the goal. Let's back off the offseason spending. Is that realistic, or are they going after Bogarts no matter what? I, I You know, I, I think the fact that Bryson Stott has played so well at shortstop in this postseason will make them seriously rethink all the conversation about, you know, do they go after Trey Turner? Do you go after Xander Bogarts? Who would be a really nice fit for them? Because, uh, you know, because of the fact that you have Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos and Zach Wheeler, you have a relatively top-heavy payroll. Um, and so one of the ways to offset that is to, you know, have a cheap young player like a Bryson Stott. So it wouldn't surprise me, given how he's performed, in this postseason and during the regular season, if that's where they stick to, I, I think if you, uh, I, but your, I think supposition is right that if the Phillies come just short, their owner, John Middleton, is going to be devoted to the idea of getting a piece or two that puts them over the top. 
Um, but I don't think that piece is going to be a shortstop based on what I'm hearing. You know, Buster, I think you were on ESPN radio yesterday and said, or maybe it was two days ago, and said that the expectation around baseball is that Aaron Judge is going to be back with the Yankees. But I've seen the reports yep. that the Giants are, quote, going to pay whatever it takes to get him. So, I mean, how many realistic bidders do you think there are for Judge? I am, at this moment, having a hard time coming up with uh, you know, a third team besides the Yankees and besides the Giants. I know this firsthand, the Giants are going to be aggressive after him. You know, is there a breaking point? Um, you know, is for Judge, if there's a, is there a particular number that if the Yankees offer that he's going to say, you know what, that's good enough for me, and I'm speculating, say, eight years and $40 million a year. Um, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I can't see the Cubs, you know, competing with where the Giants might be. I can't see... Uh, you know, the Cubs uh, taking the number to a place where the Yankees aren't going to be. Um, as much as you and I have enjoyed speculating about the Red Sox, given their recent moves, I don't see them being the team that could do it. The Mets are a bit of a wild card because their owner, Steve Cohen, can buy whoever he wants. Now, he's talked about some financial responsibility, and they do have a lot of holes to fill. So that might make it un, uh, unlikely that they're going to be the team that gives Judge that big money. And I will tell you, again, that there are folks in a lot of other organizations, including the Giants, who think it's going to be hard for anybody to pry Judge away from the Yankees. Buster Only from ESPN with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. You know, let me ask you another Yankees question. This one's about Giancarlo Stanton. So I'm doing some rough math here. He's got five guaranteed years left and about yep. $150 million. That is no longer an albatross contract. I'm thinking of the Mariners. I'm thinking of other teams that need power. Is that a contract now the Yankees can move this offseason? Would they want to move it? Well, I, I mean, you know, given the current circumstance, I think if you gave true serum and asked, hey, if you had an opportunity to shed the stance payroll, excuse me, set contract, would you do it? Of course. I think anybody, when you get a player who's in his 30s, as Stanton is now, uh, you know, the backside of the contract can be an albatross. Um, but the fact is, he's a full no trade clause. He's not going anywhere. Mm. And, you know, he effectively steered himself to the Yankees. If you remember, he turned down an opportunity to talk with, uh, you know, the Cardinals. I think at the beginning of the process, when the Marlins traded him, his first pick was to go to his hometown in Los Angeles. And when that didn't happen, if the Yankees were the second choice, the Dodgers are not going to trade for him now. I, I don't think he's going anywhere. Buster, I'll get you out of here on this. There are some uh, reports on the Red Sox and their level of interest or level of uh, aggressiveness, I should say, in trying to get a deal done with Rafael Devers this offseason. The Spanish-speaking media says the Red Sox are down there right now negotiating with them. The English-speaking media stateside says eh, it's not so imminent. They're just kind of down there making rounds, and maybe they're seeing Devers as part of that. Are you hearing anything, and what do you think of the idea of them maybe trying to lock up Devers before Bogarts? Yeah, they said, um, you know, folks that I've spoken with that, you know, that they're going to make a run at Devers. And I think this is all part of it. Uh, I think that, you know, having these conversations and making him feel good on his birthday and making him feel wanted, that's all part of it. So uh, who knows what exactly numbers, uh, you know, where they're going to wind up falling. I do think it's smart for the Red Sox to prioritize Devers because he's a younger player. 
Uh, he's the player that if he signed, he's got more impact. Uh, they need to get uh, him uh, locked up first. It's like any other, you know, any other business. You're going to want to get your big, uh, you know, your, your most expensive uh, costs in the books. Endeavors is going to be a lot more expensive than Bogarts because of the age. So take your run, Endeavors. See if you can get that done, and that'll present you the context through which you either pursue Bogarts or don't pursue him going forward. Or don't make him a huge offer. Devers is the priority, so I think it's right that they are down there trying to make this work. Buster, yesterday was this show's two-year anniversary. We added you uh, weekly at about the eight- or nine-month mark, and we uh, certainly are thrilled with that decision and pumped that you are a part of this show every week. So thanks for all you've contributed in the time you've been with us, and here's onward and upward to, uh, to year three. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Uh, you've done a great job, and uh, your credit to Central Vermont, that's for sure. Well, thank you very much, Buster. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the series. Okay, Brady. See ya.